Okay, so tonight, usually I come in, I'm kind of rushed, and I try to cover more material than I can possibly cover. Tonight, whatever I don't get done, just gets assigned to you as homework, so I don't feel rushed at all. I actually feel very relaxed. So I'm gonna take advantage of that, and I'm gonna ask you some questions. Um, <clears throat> first one is, as I'm thinking through um, 2020, 2021, I'd like to get some of your thoughts on what would be some core classes that you would think would be interesting or that the church would really benefit from. Now, just to let you know what's coming for the rest of 2019, we've got, we did God's Word, God Almighty, then we've got Creation in the Fall, coming like a big Friday night, and then we're going to do Jesus the Messiah in the fall, then we're going to do the Holy Spirit in the church, then we're going to do salvation, then we're going to do last things, eschatology. So we're hitting basically all of the biblical doctrine in 2019. So as you're thinking about it, it's not just, think about it not just as what you would like, but honestly, like, it's like the How to Study God's Word, over 800 people have seen that. So like, what would the body of Christ, Bible Center benefit from, from topics that we could possibly do in core classes? What are some of your thoughts? I'd like to get your advice. How to share your faith with others. Okay, great. How to share your faith. Free of the Spirit. Free of the Spirit, good. Okay. Just keep throwing them out. I'm just going to write them down so I have additional ideas. Good. I'm going to hit that in the church one. So that's coming. 2019. What else? That's it? That doesn't give me much to work with. I like to add to hers. Share your faith with other religions like Muslims. Oh. Jehovah Witnesses and so on. A little bit of like an apologetics, kind of like what do other people believe and... Okay, that's a good one. Paul's letters, maybe. Okay. Paul's letters. The epistles in general, maybe like Peter and Peter as little. All right, yeah, we can do some books of the Bible. So on my board right now, some of the things I had up there, one was the Minor Prophets. I was thinking about hitting those just because those don't make it to the pulpit very often. I would love for us to have something on everything in Scripture, so that'd be a different one. I had being an everyday missionary which is basically evangelism. So that's on my board at the moment. Um, someone also suggested church history earlier. That's a big one. Like, we can do that one. But you gotta come. Like, if, you're gonna, if the people suggest some of these things, you gotta come, and that's not an easy one for any of us. It's a good one, but it's not an easy one. Um, so, okay, so we'll think through that a little bit more. Uh, another I, one would be, last, when you did the gospel yes. thing, you did that, that one night you did that big, um, overview of the whole Old Testament. Bible with the, the good and the bad. Yeah. Slow down and, and do that. Okay. That would be okay. Awesome. That was one where people said, that was great, but I didn't understand anything you said. I had multiple people say that. So it would be a good idea to go back and maybe go a little more in depth on that one. It, <laughs> it is on video. Um, any other thoughts? Yeah. That's kind of crazy, but it's. Making the, making the church relevant in modern times, addressing, but still keeping the core. Hmm, that's a good one. Didn't the, uh, one of the uh, national, you know, Methodists just look at, and I had to, there were kind of some different opinions on what to do with major uh, core beliefs they've just gone through. Okay. So part of that would be is really ironing out what our theological 
and church essentials are. Because like, you don't have to do everything we do to be a church. Does that make sense? Like, I love the fact we're having a special needs prom. I love the fact that we have children's ministry. I love the fact that we're doing core classes, but if we didn't do any of those three things, we could still be a legitimate church. So like, what actually makes up a church? Uh, you can walk into a group of people and you hear the word of God preached and they sing, but they don't do baptisms? Well, that's actually not a church. Like, there's certain things that God calls us that has to be a part of the church. And there's certain things that we can add to it, which are great, but they aren't essential to be able to say that's a church. So it'd be good to do that. Also with some of the theological essentials, which is kind of what we're working on this year a little bit. Yeah. I don't know how to phrase this, but the lady who um, remarked about um, relevance. Yeah. The, the, what's happening of how the church is becoming irrelevant and hmm. the, all the other things are taking over, you know, like sports and uh, activities and uh, how we make gods out of those things that even as a culture and as individuals, but I don't know. I, I'm just blathering. All right, I want to write down popular cultural idols. Thank you. <laughs> and see if, if that does it. I'm going to shut this. Is, this. is that okay? If you see someone looking to come in, just open the door for them. They're, they're, they're still welcome. Um, okay, that's good. Uh, I would love to share a couple of stories about just some things that happened this week. Some weeks you just kind of stand back and you're just kind of amazed at how you see God work. I think this was one of those weeks. Uh, some of these are semi-confidential, so I'm not going to give you names. I'm going to give you some stories. Uh, Monday, a guy came in and met with one of our counselors, and it's a guy that we've, we hang out with as pastors at lunch sometimes. He's a waiter at one of the restaurants we always go to, and we've just kind of been tapping on his shoulder, praying for him, talking to him. Uh, he came in, and I talked to the counselor, and he spent that time getting on his hands and knees and rededicating his life to Christ on Monday. That's exciting, We're super excited about that. Uh, Tuesday, one of our groups, uh, who for, since the day I got here, told me they don't want anyone else to come to their group, like they like to just kind of stay their own little crew. On Tuesday night, I watched God work in their hearts, and starting in May, they're gonna start inviting neighbors and friends and have a bunch of food. Like in my opinion, that's watching individuals become discipleship makers. Like. The city could be changed by a group like that. Like that encouraged me to no end. Uh, Tuesday night also, I had one of the individuals in one of our groups call me and said she felt like God was calling her to give her testimony to the other ladies in the group. And she said, I've never shared it, Pastor Mike. Like I haven't even told my best friend some of the things I've done. How do you feel about me sharing those things? And I said, go for it. The only shame you have was nailed to the cross. Jesus loves you, we love you. It doesn't matter anymore. If you think you would encourage them or help them make better decisions in life, share it. So I got an email the next day and she said, after sharing it, multiple of the women in the group were crying. One of them said, after hearing your story, I'm gonna make better decisions now with my boyfriend than I'm physically making now. Like some lives were changed by just being open and honest about how God's changed her life and what she's been through. That's a big thing, to take the mask off and just be like, here I am. That's huge for us. Uh, Wednesday. So we have this ministry that exists but doesn't exist. Like it's not on the books, no one knows about it. But every time, every time somebody says, I've got some furniture I don't know what to do with, or I have an appliance I don't know what to do with, all of a sudden someone calls us and says, like someone who has nothing says, I really need a bed. I really need a refrigerator. And it just works this way. They call, they call, and then we go get it and we bring it to them. Oh. 
like it's almost like this weird Holy Spirit hotline that we've become where <laughs> he just he takes things and brings them to people. So we have a woman who's been coming from sojourners for the last six weeks. Um, that means she's in a tough position and she just got her own place and she has a chair, kind of a broken down chair. That's all she has. So we found some we found a bunch of furniture and we brought it to her. And she called and she said, one of them's broken. Would you help me? I don't know how to fix it because she has no tools. So the Thompsons, Richard and Michelle, go back and they fix it for her. And I was talking to Michelle before she went. She said, Mike, I feel like God wants me to share the gospel with her. I just feel like God's poking me to share the gospel with her. So she shows up in the house. Richard is fixing the, the furniture and she starts talking with her. And her friend from upstairs has also come down. So she's talking to the two of them. And the first lady says, I totally believe that. I almost died last year from lung cancer. The nurse told me while she was praying, holding my hand, that God has something for me. She said, this is it. It's for me to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. So she prayed with Michelle and came to know Christ right there. And her neighbor said, I feel like I have bubbles inside of me. I believe this too. And she got nervous, so Richard came over and kind of walked her through how to pray. So both of these women came to know Christ. And it came from this ministry that God just kind of created out of nowhere for us. And, and the story's not quite done. So they look at Michelle and said, well, there's probably a lot of stuff that we should learn. We probably need to know more about this decision we just made. You know, that's usually what we say to someone, but they said it to her. So, she, so we have a lady who's been coming to our noon core classes who's just growing and growing. And she told Michelle two weeks ago, I'm praying that God gives me an opportunity to lead and help some other women. So Michelle says, well, can I call somebody real fast? And they go, sure. So they call her and she says, I would love to do that. Um, so within one minute, she says, I have a teacher for you who would come and love to lead a group right here. And they look at her and said, we're gonna need more chairs because we're gonna fill up this entire space. <laughs> we're gonna invite our neighbors, we're gonna invite all our friends. In fact, I think we're gonna have to go down to the basement because I don't think this room is big enough. It took them 60 seconds to get that the gospel is not something just for me, but something for everyone who I know who needs to hear it, okay? So this woman's gonna go into a situation with who knows how many people who are sitting there waiting to hear the gospel for the first time, okay? This is like Acts kind of, this is like first century Christian type stuff that's happening. Just, I mean, amazing things. And then that night, Wednesday night, we saw a child come to know Christ here at our Awanas. So like, we're just seeing things happening here, just bubbling up in lots of different ways. And those are just some of the stories from this week. If you look at statistics, like there's a guy named George Barna who keeps track of like statistics, like are, are people coming to know Christ? What usually happens when people come to know Christ? The answer is nowadays, many, there aren't many people coming to know Christ above the age of 14. It just isn't, it's, it's like an unusual thing. Churches aren't baptizing people much anymore. So to see God move like this, like just, I wish you to hold on to that and be excited about that and to be thankful to be a part of something like that. Like you are a part of that. To be a part of this church means you're praying for this church, you're giving to this church, and God's starting to do things through the people in this church, which is amazing. It's amazing. Churches would kill to see some of the things that God's doing here at this church. It's not because we're better than anybody else. It's not because we're doing something better than anybody else. We're trying just to clearly communicate the gospel, clearly communicate God's word, and to love people as well as we know how in the way Jesus has loved us. We're trying to simplify things, so that's what we do here. And I feel like God is just starting to use some of those things. So keep praying, keep giving, keep getting excited. Like, I just want you to be aware of some of the things that God's doing. And it thrills me.
Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for each and every story. Uh, to you be the glory. It's not because of gifted people, it's because of broken people being themselves in light of your love, in light of your gospel, sharing what they so desperately needed with other people who so desperately need it. Uh, today, as we spend time thinking about you, talking about your attributes, getting excited about your character, cause us to fall more in love with you. Uh, cause us to grow in a, just an inward, deeper sense of awe and majesty and excitement about walking into your presence and being with you daily throughout the rest of our life. Uh, God, mold us, change us to be more in your image. We love you. Uh, lead us forward. In Christ's name, amen. We're on page 24. If you missed last week, we did not go through 23 pages last week. Uh, the way that this book kind of works is we get through a couple things, and I just kind of give you the rest to do on your own. It doesn't mean you need to do it before I see you next. It's not building, um, but uh, we just want you to be able to have this, to either use in Bible studies that you're leading, personal quiet times, whatever would work best for you over time. So our session today is about incommunicable attributes. Incommunicable attributes. So the way we started our last session was, how do we even start this discussion of God? How do finite beings discuss an infinite God? Like, how does an ant describe the inward workings of a human? Their emotional life, their anatomy, like, an ant's going to have a really hard time doing that. We're the ants tonight. We're the ones trying to explore something beyond us. God is similar to us, but God is also other. God is also other, okay? He's... He's also just not like us in certain ways. You have a beginning. He has no beginning. Like, you, you don't know what that's like. He's here, and he's also on the other side of the world, and on the bottom of the ocean, and in a galaxy far, far away. At the same time, you don't know what that's like. Neither do I. So there's certain aspects of God that's just other. So the word incommunicable just refers to those attributes that, that are just different than us. Different than us. Let's look at that first paragraph. There are qualities of God that we do not have, that we do not share. They are incommunicable. There are some that we do share. Those are the communicable ones. That's next session. And there are aspects of our nature that reflect his nature. Okay, so here comes, here comes a hard quote. It is equally futile to attempt to maintain a distinction between the communicable and the incommunicable attributes of God, at least at the level of divine, divine essence. In other words, God is loving and he's infinite at the same time. Like, so for God, it, they're together. God is holy and God is omnipresent at the same time. It's together. So even though we're making two lists, in God there's not two lists. God is all those things all the time at the same time. He's all those things all the time at the same time. So in his divine essence and who he truly is, he's just all of it, all the time. So again, ants trying to explore God. So we're making lists. We're qualifying things. But he's, only, he's always loving in a holy, just, patient, merciful, graceful way. Like he's always all those things at the same time. So even though we're going to divide things up and talk about them, in God's being, they're not divided up. He's not a bunch of puzzle pieces, even though tonight we're going to treat them like that a little bit. Okay, so I just want us to say out loud, that's incorrect, but that's all we got. 
the last part says, there is certainly a real difference here, but it is tied to and logically dependent on the prior distinction between the persons and the essence of God. What that kind of means is, in the essence of God, all those things are true, but <clears throat> he actually experienced love because he's three. He actually experienced all the relational components of his attributes throughout all of eternity. So in his essence, he's those things, but he experienced those things because he's lived in community for all of eternity. Okay, so it's a, love is not a new thing for him. He didn't have to create something to then experience love. Like, he created out of abundance of love that was already there. So that's just important to think about. Those blue words right there in the middle, that's kind of our list of incommunicable attributes that are in this book. We're going to get through the first line, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. We might not even get through it. I've had some really hard rabbit trails today, and I'm going to see if I can avoid them. But when the rabbits start hopping, it's hard to slow them down. Uh, so the next bullet point says this. A perfect harmony exists in all of God's attributes. Harmony. I love that word. Like, there's just this harmony. There's this perfection in his divine essence and who he is between all the different attributes. One doesn't dominate another. God is never put into a perplexing situation where he's trying to negotiate his character qualities or his attributes. You and I are in those complex, frustrating, difficult situations all the time. All the time. Um, so here's a bad dad example. Uh, like, my son is probably the nicest person I know. Like, I have a lot to learn from my son. So he'll come home, and like, as he's walking in the door, he's like, Dad, what'd you do today? How was your day? What'd you like? Who'd you talk to? What happened? Like, he'll throw five questions at me, like, all at once, okay? Because he's really nice. Sometimes, Pastor Mike says, oh, let's sit down and talk, and we'll talk about it. And sometimes, Pastor Mike doesn't want to talk to his son, and he's just like, hey, Fine, fine, good, good, fine. I'm gonna watch TV for 30 minutes, okay? And then we'll talk. So sometimes he's that guy. That's not a real good guy. But I'll just be honest with you. And <laughs> that sometimes I'm one way, sometimes the, I'm the other, depending on how my day went, where I'm at, and if I'm really walking with the Lord, wanting to love my son more than I'm wanting to love myself. So in my heart, there's all this conflict going on. Like as I hear the words, I have to decide, oh, am I gonna put his desires above my own? Am I gonna put his wants above my own? Am I gonna honor his relationship with me more than my relationship with my selfishness? Or am I just gonna shut him out and shut him down and do my own thing? Like, there's conflict all throughout me and trying to decide how I'm gonna respond, how I'm gonna act. In God, there's never conflict. There's never frustration. There's never a wondering, wow, I wonder how I should respond to this situation or if it should be this part of me that responds or this part of me that responds. God doesn't function like that. There's harmony. He's infinitely complex and he's infinitely simple. He simply is God. We're trying to talk about different attributes of God, but he just simply is God. God is, well, I guess I said it right there. God is infinitely complex and yet perfectly united in his attributes. So, oh good, there it is. So if we're gonna draw this, I'm gonna draw a circle here, and then I'm gonna draw little circles inside of the circle. So this is kinda like what a puzzle would look like. We've got the edges of a puzzle, and you've got all your pieces. Sometimes we treat God's attributes like this. He's loving, he's infinite, he's patient, and we just keep 
putting them into additional spots. We can't actually divide them up separately like this. God is not a puzzle. So if we think this way, we are wrong. But this is our tendency, because this, this makes God a little bit more understandable. And our desire is always to understand things. So this is simplifying God and trying to make it more understandable, but this isn't quite right. Also, it's important to understand that if this is the Lord, it's not like inside the circle is his true essence, and then he just displays himself through his attributes. So it's not like this is God, and then God chooses then to display this, and chooses to display mercy, and chooses to display justice. Like, he's also not this. This is also wrong. The next two points say this. God reveals himself through his attributes. God is never revealed separate from his attributes. So it's not like God is something else and his attributes are something outside of him. His attributes are what describe his essence. They are him. All right, so what are we going to do? How are we going to fix this? I'm going to draw a circle again. Oh, that was really big. Okay. What's well, I'm getting good at the circles? Thank you. I, I, was, I was looking for a compliment. So if this black pen is justice, then I'm going to draw lines, parallel lines, all throughout the circle, covering a bunch of the circle. All right? The next color I'm going to take is blue. Let's say this is God's patience. I'm going to draw blue lines, parallel, intersecting with the black lines throughout the circle. Okay, well, let's hit uh, God is also merciful. This is his mercy pen. Okay, and again, parallel lines. Now they're intersecting with both of the other lines. Now, obviously, this isn't perfect, but this is closer to the way God's attributes work. All of his attributes intersect with one another over and over again throughout who God is. If you just kept drawing more and more lines, it would almost take on its own color or flavor. Like, God is simply who he is. So he never acts out of this without all these other points playing a role in his decision. He doesn't act that way. He doesn't act just out of love, but not out of justice. He never says, well, I'm not going to worry about my holiness in this situation. I'm just going to worry about something else. He's all his attributes all the time at the same time. Okay? So I'm not going to say this is perfect, but this is closer than the other two. All right? So that's kind of how his attributes work. What's that, Bill? He's not off the grid. God's not off the grid. <laughs> I, I wasn't even putting that point in my notes. I should have put that in there. Okay. Thank you, Bill. Um, next point says this. By nature, God exists outside of and separate from his creation. That's just another thing to say out loud. Uh, every one of God's attributes are identical with his being. So it's and you've seen this. God, is, he acts with love, but it also says God is love. You see God being omnipresent, and it also says God is spirit, which is how he can be omnipresent. Like, he, he is loving, but he also is love. He's merciful, and God is, if you want to define mercy, you have to look at God to truly understand mercy. Like, he is his attributes. So when he displays them, he's displaying who he is. God's attributes do not differ from his essence, nor from one another nor from one another. Just those last couple words kind of rock you back and blow your mind. So he's not, again, this is kind of what we said before, he's not loving, but not also being holy, merciful, full of grace, just. Like he's 
They're, they're all together. He's never acting out of just one. He's always acting out of all of his attributes all of the time. Okay? Yes. All that, all at once. He's all his attributes, all the time, every time, in every way. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm seeing with your with your color analogy a prism splitting white light into colors, but the white light mm. is always there. Mm -hmm. There you go. Did you catch that? Bill just went straight up deep on us. So you take a white light shining into a prism and it kind of separates the different colors out, but at the end of the day, it really is just that white light. That's kind of what we're doing, Bill. Well said. Okay, we're, we're taking it through a kaleidoscope. Is that what those are called? Um, so we're doing that. At the bottom, here's two questions. What would happen if we emphasized one attribute over the other? We'd start a new church. <laughs> That's true. Okay, so it would, it would start to slide us out of Christ, Christendom. What else would happen if we emphasize one attribute or one characteristic over another? Would leave out some of us. Say it again? Would leave out some of us because some mm. of us would be always thinking this direction and mm. be a different direction to go. That's a good point. So emphasizing one over the other would make some of us happy and some of us kind of angry because we might prefer the other one. It would dilute the gospel to nothing. Good. Would that humanize God? Yes, good one. It would also humanize God. Like, you and I, even though you're supposed to be loving, and you're supposed to be patient, and I'm supposed to be loving, I'm supposed to be patient, and full of mercy, you might be really good at patience, but not so good at mercy. Okay, like, that's, that's human. I mean, we're just, we're growing in those areas. In some areas, we haven't grown so much. If we start to do that to God, we're kind of humanizing God. Well said. Uh, and... When we humanize God, we're going to be disappointed. Because when we make him more like us, that's the wrong direction. I mean, I mean that's the wrong direction. We're always going to be disappointed. Uh, and this is our tendency. Like, if, if we really prefer something, our tendency is to want to, instead of being the clay and he gets to be the potter, I pretend like I'm putting on my potter gloves, and I mold God into a way that seems to really work well for me. I prefer this. You say you're like this, but I really prefer this. And then on some weird level, we're trying to recreate what God is like. How scary is that? That never works out. It never works out. So we want to make God in our image. We tend to. Him making us in his. Mm -hmm. Instead of being an image bearer, we want to be the one who reshapes our God. That clay potter thing, we get it mixed up all the time. We really do. We put on our potter gloves and think that that's... That's what we're supposed to do. And also, if we overemphasize one attribute of God over another, we misrepresent him to the world. We misrepresent him to the world. So we really need to be consistent. Like, it's important that we're kind of teaching all the different pieces of Scripture. Okay? Like, like we've been doing the Song of Songs. I looked at Matt and I said, you're crazy. That is so hard. I would prefer not to do that. And he said, and I had to... Like, to pull something out is to not show an aspect of God's character. He's chosen to reveal himself in the Song of Songs in ways that make me feel uncomfortable. Maybe some of you felt uncomfortable. 
I know my kids felt uncomfortable, but like he was revealing himself through that. So to not talk about it is like us starting to like mold God and saying, well, you gave me 66 books. I'm only going to do 65. Like we can't do that. Okay. So it's just, it's one of those things we have to just keep being careful. Like we have to let God speak for God and we have to sit back as the clay and say, you mold me, you mold me. And we sit underneath his authority not the other way around. Um, how do you guys think society does this? How does society pick and choose with God? How does society overemphasize or de-emphasize? So we kind of talked about how we do it. How does society do it, or culture, or the world? Well, how could there be a good God if you know, he allows natural disasters that kill people and hmm. ruin things? That's good. That's good. They run to that all the time. So they really, so in that circumstance, they really only understand God's, they're trying to understand God's goodness, but they're ignoring all the other aspects of God's character. Okay? Does that make sense? They've kind of picked and choose, and they like that one. What would be another example? I think it's, if we put it in a way that separates people, I mean, you have different beliefs, or, or, because we have all these little pockets all over the world that believe different things, mm -hmm. and sometimes they just pick one aspect or something and focused on that and not the rest of it. So what happens is it kind of separates us when we pick one over another, emphasize something over another. That's good. Any other thoughts? So I also think we tend to lean towards, and this is similar to what you said, is we love the fact that God is loving as a culture. But we don't like the fact that he's just. We don't like the fact that he's holy, which means that he has created the standards that we must live by. Like we like him being loving, and here's what we've also done. Is we also, so God says he is love. So what is the definition of love? We have to look at God to get that definition. What society has done is they've used their definition. To say God is love is to say God is tolerant, is what I've heard. You know what I mean? Like love equals tolerance. So if I'm having an affair with someone and I say, um, well, wouldn't God want me to be happy? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Or... Yeah, I choose a lifestyle that doesn't honor God according to his scriptures, but it makes me happy. A loving God would want me to be happy. And somehow that trumps God's law. That trumps God's holiness. That trumps God's justice. So that was overemphasized, and then we de-emphasize all the other aspects of God. That happens over and over again. So one, society doesn't get to redefine love. Okay? Two, they don't get to just pick and choose which attributes of God they like and don't like. That puts them in a position where God is misrepresented. So no wonder they have such a struggle in understanding why they need him, okay? That's why we have to keep slowly teaching through our lives, through our examples, through our words, the whole character of God as much as we can, okay? Which is hard, but that's something we need to do. Um, let's go to the next page. And we've got 30 minutes to jump into God being independent, self-existent, and self-sufficient. So what I could have done, what we could have done, is we could have done each one of those individually, but then we would never, ever get it done. So I put those together because they're very similar. God is independent, he's self-existent, and he's self-sufficient. Here's a definition where I kind of combine the three words together. Only God in nature, substance, and essence is autonomous, all-sufficient, and free in every way, always. He never has need, want, or a lack of any sort. Everything in all of creation, visible and invisible, is dependent upon our independent God. 
everything, visible and invisible, is dependent. He is the only independent being that there is. He's the only self-sufficient being that there is. He's the only one who can claim those attributes. This is where he's partly other. We can't relate to being self-sufficient. We can't. We can't relate to being independent. Now, in little aspects of our life, it feels that way. The breath you breathe, God gives to you. If he takes that away, you've got a couple minutes and you're dead. Like, everything about you is based upon what you've been given and what you've received, not upon what you've created or you've made to be so. Your two arms, God. Your two legs, God. Your lungs, God. Your eyesight, God. The strength in your bones, God. So because he's given those things and we use those things, it doesn't mean we're independent. We still are dependent upon God himself. Colossians talks about the fact that everything is sustained by the power of the word of Jesus. So when God said, let there be, and created everything, everything still is because it still resides and exists and is maintained by that single word. So creation is amazing to watch that there was nothing and then there became something by God simply speaking it into being. But God still sustains everything from that same word. It's still being sustained. What we call laws of nature are consistent ways that God works. There are multiple things that we still truly don't understand how it works the way it works. It's because God designed it that way and God holds it together. If for one moment God took his hand off the universe, every molecule in your body would go in every direction there is. Or they'd implode on it. Who knows? So we need to realize that we are dependent on him. The makeup of your body, the fact that your molecules and atoms stay together is because of the sustaining work of our creator God. Okay? It's amazing. So let's look at some verses that talk about this. Uh, would somebody grab Romans 11:34 through 36 for me? And then I'm probably going to look up a couple others. We're not going to go through all of them, but I'm going to leave some there for you to do. So Romans 11, 34 through 36, while someone's looking, I'm going to go ahead and read 1 Corinthians 8, 6. It says, There is one God from who are all things, and we exist for him. And there's one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. So it's from God are all things, and by Jesus are all things, and we exist for him and through him. So we exist with a purpose for him, but we also exist through him. You take him out of the equation, there's no more existing. We exist through him. Okay? Could somebody read Romans 11, 34 through 36 for me? Thank you. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given him, given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. From him and through him and to him are all things. You could do a whole lesson on prepositions just from that, from that sentence. But all the prepositions are pointing in one direction, to God and his self-sufficiency and his independence and his self-existence. Everything that we are, everything that there is, is dependent on him, for him, through him, and to him are all things. Every single thing, every atom, every galaxy, every chair, every church, every person, every mountain, every sea, every kernel of sand is to him, for him, and through him.
Okay? I'm going to go to Daniel chapter 4. So the person who's, so God has inspired a guy named Nebuchadnezzar to say this out loud. Nebuchadnezzar is someone who said out loud, basically, I'm the king of the world. I'm the most important guy there is. There's nobody more powerful than I am. Therefore, people should praise me. People who don't praise me should be destroyed. Okay? That's kind of a bit of a God complex, huh? Like Nebuchadnezzar went that direction. So God dialed him back. God put him through some really difficult circumstances for him to realize that he's not king of the world. He is not independent. He is not self-sufficient. Okay? And after learning that lesson, Nebuchadnezzar says this in verse 35 of chapter 4. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. That includes Nebuchadnezzar. Like he's saying that about everything, including himself. In comparison to God, all things account as nothing. But he, God, does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? Okay? So Nebuchadnezzar landed into the right place. You are king. You determine what's right and wrong. No one can stop your hand when it moves. No one can question your counsel. You are God. I am not. So out of the mouth of someone who really just started believing in God, this was his response to his experience with God. I think that's amazing. Let's do one more. Acts chapter 17. Uh, I'm going to do verses 24 and 25. This is, you probably have heard these before. It says, The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. Because he gives to all people life and breath and all things. Your breath has been given to you by God, each and every single one of them. Take a moment. Breathe in deeply through your nose. That's an opportunity to praise and worship God because he gave that to you. Without him, you don't have that. You and I are dependent creatures on an independent God. Proper response. So at the bottom, in light of God's independence, how should we approach him? In light of who he is, in light of who you are, how should we approach him? Reverence. With reverence, good. Awe, fear. With awe, on with fear <laughs> on our faces. Other thoughts? Praise. With praise, good. Gratitude. With gratitude, with thankfulness. If every breath is from him, I always have a reason to be thankful, don't I? Other thoughts? The picture that kind of pops into my head, if we really understand that he's independent, if I really understand that everything I have, everything is from him, then you and I should approach him with open hands as those who desperately need to receive from him. We don't walk in saying, look what I made. We don't walk in saying, look what I got. We don't walk in patting our back. We walk in simply saying, you, 
You, my all-sufficient, independent, all-powerful God, I come in because I'm needy. Without you, I have nothing. Without you, I can do nothing. I must receive from you. Everything you have, whether it's your breath or your strength or your bank account or your house or your relationships, is something that God first gave you. So when we give tithes and offerings, we're giving back to God something that he gave to us. There's nothing that you made that he didn't give you so that you could make it to give it to him. That doesn't mean he doesn't love a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful giver. But just on some level, we have to recognize we're giving back to him something that he gave to us. When I try to honor God with my body, he talks about that. Glorify God with your body by you know, being fit or just, or just taking care of yourself. Like Even that is in response to what he gave me or what he gave you. So we always go into his presence as a receiver, not thinking that we have something to give. We never walk in, into his presence and like look at him in the eye and shake his hand like, we're doing a good job, aren't we? Like, like that's, that's not, the, this is never the position that we go into with God. It's always this. Okay, it's this. Another, another thing that popped into my head was, if God has given us everything and we can offer nothing to him, we never should go to God trying to create leverage. Trying to create leverage. What do I mean by that? Well, it's an if then, right? God, if you can just take this pain away from me, or if you can just let my dog live for another year, even though he's supposed to live for one more year, even if, if you could do this or if you could do that, then God, then I will dot, dot, dot. Be more faithful to you. Share the gospel with my neighbor. So many stories that you read from people who create those stories are, left, are exactly that, though. Mm -hmm. they, they, you know, I told God if he would, then yeah. this would happen. And you just read them over and over. And over and God can still choose to use our weakness and our misunderstanding to bless us. In fact, he does it all the time because you and I are never in a position where we're really walking to God's presence really understanding whose presence we're walking into. We know it truly, but not exhaustively, not fully, not completely. So God blesses us when we do really stupid things. I mean, I have some people that I, some good friends I care about. Financially, they make the worst decisions I've ever seen. But then God always just sweeps in and like just takes care of them in these crazy ways. Someone just writes them a huge check. Or like, and I'm always like, what? Like, God, you need to punish them so that they learn. And he's like, no, they're my children. That's something I would do. And that's why I should never, ever have power. Um, like, like, like the Lord just takes care of people in ways that you just can't even imagine. Um, so we don't get to judge that. Like, we just have to be thankful for that. Um, how, might, how might this affect the way that we pray? This is taking the same thought, just go maybe another step deeper. How does this affect the way we pray? Mm. With that, I mean, we need to commit our whole selves, you know. That's good. And, and sometimes you can't just instantly go there. You need to think and get, get deeper. So knowing who God is, knowing this is true of God, we should give him our whole selves. That's good. Maybe being more simple. Like hmm. just give me breath. Hmm. 
being more simple, give me breath. That's good. That's good. So I think what you're saying, correct me if you're wrong, is almost taking our time with the Lord in prayer down to the most basic need, the most basic level with God. Like even the simplest things in my life, I'm dependent on you for. So have conversations with him about that. Conversations of praise and worship, conversations about thankfulness for those things, but also conversations of, I just need you to help me breathe today. I need you to help me get up out of bed today. I need your help to be kind today. Like, if we're dependent on him for all things, and he loves as a good father to give to his children, we walk in with, we walk in needy. So you don't need to ever walk into God's presence acting like, God, just so you know, I did all my quiet times this week. <laughs> God, when Luke asked me all those questions, I was nice to him. Like, there, there's nothing that you can do that makes you any less needy. Like, you walk in 100% needy, 100% the receiver, he's always 100% the giver. So just walk in with your need. Be open and honest about that. I need you for everything. I can't do anything without you. Okay? So we just walk in just with those, those hands. Like, so in my mind, like, with the picture I have is just, I've got nothing. I've got nothing. Uh, earlier, uh, somebody asked, and this was, this was a good question, and this... This might be my fault if we rabbit trail off of this. He said, well, don't we bring our obedience to God? Isn't that what we give back to God, our obedience? That's a good question. So let's think about that scripturally. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, it's the section where it says, uh, you've been saved by grace through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's a <laughs> gift from God, 8 and 9. So your salvation is a gift from God. Like You are saved because of a good gift, you know, you, you have faith, and he gives you grace, and it's a gift. It's not of yourself, so that no man can boast. Nobody walks into heaven saying, teamwork, we did great. Like, nobody does that. Like, you walk in completely thankful for what God did for you. But then verse 10 says, so that you can do the good works that God created for you to do. So the only way that we can have that obedience is because God has saved you, given you grace, and even had to prepare ahead of time those good works for you, to make sure that you did them. So God prepared them for you. He put them in front of you. So it's really hard to walk into the situation and be obedient and say, I did this. Like, no, he, he created you. He, he, we obey in response to our love for him. Jesus looks at us in John 14, 15, 21, 23, and basically says over and over again, if you love me, you're just going to do what I ask you to do. So it's not like, I just, in my own self-will, just freely chose to be obedient, and therefore I deserve a pat on the back for it. I'm just simply responding to the love and, of Christ and the grace I've been given. And the Bible is really clear. Every time we do something good, he gets the credit. Every time we do something bad, you get the credit. Okay? <laughs> so sometimes we, with this obedience thing, we think, out of my own free will, I was good, and therefore I deserve a pat on the back. Like, somehow I'm bringing God a cookie. All right? That's not really what the Bible says. The only reason why you had the ability to do that is because Jesus loved you, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and empowers you, and then God's Word gave you direction to know what to do. It's in His strength, by His power, 
that you were able to do it. So it's, we're not handing them a cookie. We're, we say, thank you for letting me be obedient. So even with our obedience, the response is thankfulness. It's gratitude because he gets the credit for it. Okay? For, this is so counterintuitive. It's counterintuitive. Yeah. yeah. And it's also counterintuitive to the human nature because I want to have some credit. We all want to participate in our salvation. It doesn't feel right to get a free gift and not give something back. Uh, I went to a concert with a, good, with a good friend and I bought the ticket. And the whole night, he kept trying to like buy things for me or giving things. Even at the end of the night, I found a $5 bill just sitting in my car. Like it was just hard for him, just like it's hard for us, to not pay back what feels like a debt. But God's like, I'm self-sufficient. I need nothing. I've never been served by human hands. I'm completely independent. Just receive from me. Come into my presence needy. I know you are. If you think you're not, you're just foolish. So come in needy. Come independent. I'm here to give and to give everything you need um, to grow in him and to love him. So how would it change our relationship? Last question at the bottom. How would it change our relationship with him if he needed us like we needed him? How would it change our relationship with him if he needed us like we needed him? It's kind of a scary question, huh? What would happen then? We don't have what he needs, and he probably no, ha no longer has what we need. Everything's spiraling down the hole. I mean, I mean, something just got flushed, and it's gone. You know I mean, like, it's gone. So, yeah, nothing good comes out of that. How scary if God had need. If God had need, we would then have power and leverage. So, God, you're lonely? I'll talk to you more if you do this for me. God, you're, you're lacking praise? I'll sing a song, but I really want that car instead of that car. I mean, it puts us in this weird position, but it's not true, okay? He has no need. Let's go to the next page. So we talked about this a little bit. Let me see if I can get any other thoughts out of you. Where does the world go wrong in this idea of God being independent, of God being self-sufficient? Where are some other ways where the world gets this wrong? Any thoughts? We, we do it a lot in our culture. We, we have so many of our basic needs met. Mm. It's not a, a, not a problem. And I, I think we've had discussions in class that sometimes the biggest growth that's seen is in countries or do, Mm. where there is nothing and you are down that you're totally dependent on him. That's good. So partly because we have, like physically in, in terms of our possessions, many of us have the basic things that we need. There's just this feeling, this sense that I've accomplished something. I've met my own needs. So therefore I don't have much need when I walk into his presence. Now there's tons of misconceptions there, but the world wants you to buy into that. They celebrate your progress. They celebrate your new car. They celebrate you being in a great neighborhood. And those aren't bad things. You can be in a great neighborhood. You can have a great car. You can have a terrible car. It doesn't matter. But what happens is as we celebrate those things, we start to pat ourselves on the back instead of being thankful to God. We worship his hand rather than his face. Like we start to worship the things that he's given us rather than the essence of who he is. 
there's certainly that tendency. I agree. And the world celebrates being independent. Mm. The world absolutely values independence. They value it. They encourage it. They celebrate it. They expect it. Yeah, they expect that. Absolutely. Hmm. Any other thoughts on that? Back back to the prayer reference in prayer. Everything's at his will. Hmm. And so we have to go in faith believing that his answer is the right answer. Good point. It's not necessarily what we ask for. That's a good point. And not necessarily in our time. That's great. That's real tough. So hopefully you caught that. So with prayer, when we go in, we go in needy, but we also recognize because of who he is, he knows how to best answer that prayer. And it's not always in the way that you expect or maybe even want, or in the timing that you expect. God does answer prayer. He does. But sometimes the answer is, not now. Like, I have a 14-year-old son who wants to get behind the wheel of my car and just take it for a spin. The answer is, not now. Okay? Not now. I don't care if you're tall enough. I don't care if you can see over the wheel. Not now. Like, it just doesn't work that way. Um, So sometimes God, like any good father, has to do that. Um, Let me read. So here's another good verse. Oh, let me throw this out at you real quick. So that was a really good point, Carol, when you said, because we have so much, we tend to forget our need. Remember the story we talked about at the beginning? The woman who said, we're going to need more chairs. What did she have? She had one chair. Something about that's beautiful, okay? I'm not saying give away all your stuff and just keep one chair. I'm not saying that. But in just having the one chair, what she celebrated was not her stuff. God's been so good because I have all this stuff. What she celebrated was the opportunity to share a message with her friends and her neighbors who so desperately needed to hear it. Like her perspective was, didn't have to be filtered through all her possessions. Her perspective was based upon the simplicity of the gospel with no distraction. We can have things and still be completely devoted to the Lord. He says we can. But it's just interesting to see in that picture, her instant response isn't, I wonder what my neighbors are going to think of me by making this decision. Like, there's nothing in her that has shame about making a choice for Jesus. She's only thrilled about Jesus. I wish we could get back to that. Don't you sometimes? Like, I mean, as Christians, there's that simple love for Jesus, then we start encrusting it with other things, and we get so caught up in worldly thoughts. May God continue just to tear those back where we have conversations. Like, like that woman who shared her testimony. She peeled the onion back and went back to the, the way that God loved her so much in her darkest moments, and that meant everything to her. Like, we need to get back to thinking like that. The beauty of the gospel in the darkest moments, in the hardest places in your life. Those things remind you that it doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter what you don't have. What matters is Him. You never walk into his presence and rattle your keys and say, guess what I got? I got, I got that fancy new shiny truck. Like he, he doesn't, that doesn't impress him, okay? Um, but sometimes we get so caught up in it. So Nebuchadnezzar, uh, we, need, we do, we do, we do. So Nebuchadnezzar, I read verse 35 to you. Again, he thought he was king of the, king of the world. And 
I think this is the last thing that we have recorded that Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 37. He says this, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven. He viewed, Nebuchadnezzar viewed himself as like king of the earth. But he had to realize that that doesn't mean anything because there's a king of heaven which resides way above the earth itself. So there is no king on the earth that lives independent of the king who resides over heaven. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven for all his works are true, his ways are just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. And he's able to humble those who walk in pride. Um, I don't wish on any of us what Nebuchadnezzar went through. If you go back and read about Nebuchadnezzar, that was rough. But may God continue to keep us just in this humble state where we walk into his presence, just really realizing our state, his state. He needs nothing. I can't even control my next breath. He's completely self-sufficient. I can't provide a single thing for myself that he hasn't first given me. Okay? And it's going to be so hard to remember because you're going you're to leave here, you're going to get in your car, you're going to turn that thing on, you're going to get back to your house, you're going to turn on the television, and you're going to lean back in your lazy boy, and it's going to be so hard to remember that every single moment of every day you're dependent on him because it just sometimes doesn't feel that way. So as much as you can, I want you to have some mental image, some picture, some illustration, some thought that you go back to to remind yourself of that. What might be something that, could, that has even maybe popped in your head in the last hour that you can go back to to remind you of who you are and who he is? What are some thoughts that you've had or some images that you've had? I guess I'm here to glorify God, hmm. not the other way around. That's good. So the thought is I'm here to glorify him, not him to glorify me. That's good, Norm. Every time we breathe. Hmm. And we don't think about breathing because it's a natural thing. But from this moment on, perhaps we will be aware of every breath we take. Hmm. As we breathe in and we breathe out, it's, it's a gift. And the complex oxygen exchange that's taking place to fuel our blood cells, and I mean, it's just ridiculous. We have no control over any of it. You're very, yeah, you're very right. So perhaps just taking a moment each day, maybe every time you get in your car, before you turn it on, just stop for a second and take a deep breath and say thank you. Maybe in the morning, your alarm goes off, you turn it off, take a couple of deep breaths and just realize that those were because the Lord gave those to you. And start your day dependent instead of starting your day self-sufficient. Um, so that's a, that's a great one. For me, Nebuchadnezzar is just a great one. Like I love thinking about that guy. I mean, from I'm king of the world to I exalt you. You're the king of heaven. I am nothing. I, can, I can't thwart your words. I can't stop your hand. I simply must sit before you and praise you. And where there's pride, you will squash it because you can humble those who are prideful. So Nebuchadnezzar kind of sticks. had a human right to think himself great. Mm -hmm. Because he was. He was. Yeah. From the human standard, he was the most powerful person in the world. More than the U.S. president is today. Babylon ruled. I mean, like, that kingdom was massive. His power. Like, if he said, I'm going to go conquer that nation, he would go conquer that nation. 
I mean, read some stuff in here describing the armies of Babylon. Scary. Um, so from a human level, he had every right to believe that. And sometimes we need to be reminded the human point of view is the wrong point of view. So going back and remembering these things are great. Um, let me read the first quote. So there it says favorite quotes. Uh, when I first put the booklet through, I have um, some people that kind of help me edit it. They change favorite to relevant quotes. And I'm like, no, there's not relevant quotes. These are my favorite quotes. So the word favorite is there for a reason. There's lots of quotes I could put that are relevant, but these are some of the ones I enjoy. Uh, the first one says this. He is the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, who is, who was, and who is to come, absolutely independent, not only in his existence, but consequently also in his virtues and perfections and in all his decrees and his deeds. He's completely independent in all those things. At the bottom, the last one by Tozer says this, an elementary but correct way to think of God is as one who contains all, who gives all that is given, but who himself can receive nothing that he has not first given. Good thoughts. Yeah. The two in the middle are bigger and they're a little longer. Still some of my favorites, uh, but for time's sake, I'm going to leave them. So there's a couple questions below that we don't have time to do, but what you're going to find as you go through these other attributes, if you have time to do it, I'm going to give you some verses. I'm going to give you some questions or possible misunderstandings that we have about those character attributes. And then I'm going to give you some of my favorite quotes. And then at the bottom, I'm going to ask these same three questions over and over again, because I think these are three really good questions to try to drive home each attribute. The questions are these. If I truly believe this character quality or truth about God, how would I think feel and behave differently okay so that's a good one like how does it change the way you think the way you feel the way you believe the next question is this how might it change my perception and understanding of myself my relationships with god and others or the world like how does this reality change the way you view your neighbors your place of work yourself last question is this and we've already asked this one how will i remember what i've learned about the lord is there a mental picture or illustration, or maybe even a practice that you can incorporate into your life to make this reality stick with you. So we really just got through one attribute, but it felt like enough, didn't it? Like that was enough. To go through another one, you'd forget this one, like I would. Like it's just, it was weighty, it was enough. So there's more in here. We're gonna go ahead to communicable attributes next week. We're just gonna skip over them. So enjoy those for yourself or maybe with a, a Bible study or a community group that you meet with. Um, that's all. I'm going to pray us out. Father, thank you for a fun night. It's always good to talk about you. It's always good to be with brothers and sisters that love you. Uh, you can humble those who are prideful. And Lord, all of us, including me, are still struggling with pride. I still think when I enter into your presence, I have something in my hands to bring you, that somehow my actions, my obedience, or the things that I own give me some worth outside of you, but they don't. My only worth comes from who you've made me to be and the fact that you've loved me so much that Jesus died on the cross in my place. And I live only in your grace and your mercy and your love. Remind us that of that every single day. Tomorrow when we wake up, may we all take a deep breath and say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.